gentlemen, welcome to The Crypt on WKNC. I'm DJ Solwood, and today I'm joined by two members of a fantastic group that just played the Art of Cool Festival in Durham, North Carolina just yesterday, Maggie Vogley and Rico Sisney of Sidewalk Chalk. Thank you guys for joining me on WKNC's The Crypt. It is quite the honor, after having seen you guys play at Art of Cool Jazz Festival just yesterday, I want to jump right into some of the questions that I got for you. The first is that your roots are in Chicago. And I'm really curious what you all specifically take away from there. Oh, specifically from Chicago? Um, well, I think that for the first part, um, just the Chicago community of artists is, is kind of um, very close. So we, I would say, probably have as many friends that are poets as friends that are musicians um, or friends that do dance or um, other types of art. And, and so a lot of us... Um, We'll go out to those different types of events, and I know for me, as a, as an MC, I've been influenced a lot by other Chicago poets, and and just the way that a lot of people in Chicago do merge different types of art and different types of genre, and I think that that's something that we do as well. Are there any groups that y'all used to perform with or still perform with that you feel are influencing your current sound? Uh, you said groups that we used to perform with or still perform with that influence our current sound. That is correct. Yes. Let's see groups that we've performed with that have influenced us. I mean. We we performed with a friend of ours, Colby Genova, definitely big influence. It's so funny because I'm going to be naming off friends. <laughs> Who else? The Herd is a group as well from Chicago that we performed with that have influenced us. It's so vast all across the board. And like Rico said, with you know even with poets or if there's been a visual artist um, who's been doing painting while the performance is going on, that's also really inspiring. Yeah, I would add. I would add some poets to that. Ayende Cartman is uh, is one of my favorite poets in Chicago. Nate Allison, Kay Love, Kevin Koval, folks like that have really increased my standard for writing and how I approach performing words. Well, that's all great. Thank you. I appreciate finding out where you all started from. But I am kind of curious at the beginning of the band. So starting to move into actually forming the band. I know you all, or the majority of you, met at Columbia, and you finally started getting together after performing in a trio, just the two of you and and then the rhythm section. So after you added the horns and your tap dancer, how did you all end up finally naming the band? And as you've added personnel, have you felt the need to change the name of the band, or do you still feel that it reflects who you all are as a collective? Interesting question, the way that you put that. So the name of the band was formed when it was just the five of us um and then yeah just kind of sticking it out rolling with it and as yeah as we've added the horn section and the tap dancers I don't know I feel like the name has kind of slowly like unfolded its meaning to us and we've drawn different things from it Rico says a lot of stuff about sidewalk chalk and permanence and then we talk about there's like a playful element Jamani has mentioned Jamani's tap dancer has mentioned stuff about yeah when you when you're outside and there's sidewalk chalk on the streets like you're gonna stop and you're gonna look at it and that is that is for everybody like everyone can it's kind of developed some new meaning for us as the time has passed is that your hope that everyone that comes by any kind of festival like what we just saw the other day will stop and listen and do you feel that they really appreciate it because the crowd is giving you quite the uh, standing ovation at the end of your performance. Oh, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's definitely a goal is to is to be as accessible as possible so that you know people are going to appreciate the music for different reasons and in different ways. Like we love playing for crowds that have a lot of musicians in them, like last night, because they're going to catch 
certain subtleties in interaction. It's a lot of the things that get us really excited about the music are a lot of the things that people in those crowds catch. But then when we play for crowds with people who just appreciate it in different ways, you know, maybe they connect to it in a more emotional way or they connect to it. Literally, we've had people who come just because they really appreciate dance and they want to see Giovanni or, you know, any any number of ways, any any myriad of, like, doors of entry. And, and people, I think, can still take something away from it regardless of what they came in with or what they came in expecting. When you first added Jumani to tap during your shows, just before adding your horn section, did you all have any kind of difficulty integrating his physical contributions into the music? I've read that you all are very adamant that it was, it's natural. His, his contributions are incredibly natural, and it's not just some added hoax on the side of your music. It's integral to what you're doing. So did you have any trouble integrating that at the beginning? And now that you have... How do you incorporate that call and response of music and dance into your writing? Music, um, it definitely there. You know, there was some, there was conversation, of course, about how how to make space for him, um, where where he fits in. You know, it was a conversation, and yes, yeah, sometimes it, there were a little more difficulties in figuring out how to create that. You know, especially with him and and Tyler. Tyler's the drummer, just listening to one another, but. As far as our writing process, now with him, I think we do take a little more of the approach of really thinking about the part that he plays. I just think rocking with, you know, as the group together for so long and knowing knowing all the parts, it's just like all these different elements that we're really aware of that we can play with. It feels easier to create space for anybody now. I feel like it's a little more fluid. How does Jumani contribute to the, the writing of your your upcoming albums and this this most recent one that you just put out on Ropadoke Records, how does he actually contribute to that? So a lot of our a lot of our writing is you know even if we complete it even if it takes a little bit of time to complete it, pretty much every song starts with us all together in the room, and so then we all feed off of each other's ideas. Um, I remember my my favorite song off of our second album leaves my verse. What Jumani and I do is, is we just sort of trade. We collaborated on those rhythms. So, you know, the first half of it, he's imitating me. And then the second half, I imitate him. And just trying to, like, be as intentional about listening to each other, feeding off each other as possible. But in more subtle ways, it happens all the time where, like, on vibration, on the new album, there's a rhythm that he started doing that later became, like, that's what we get the audience to clap. When we invited a percussion player to rock with us, that was the basis of the rhythm that he then used. I think it's grown the ways that his rhythms, you know, disseminate throughout the group. And I think even more so, we're going to do even more of that in the future. Well, that's very good to hear. That's very, very good to hear. Jumani is so improvisational that he's an element that is so easy to draw inspiration from, like new inspiration all the time. As far as Rico was saying, like the, the hand claps and that song vibration or just like little things that he'll do that someone will pick up and be like, oh, yeah, we should open it up that way, or we should, you know, catch on to that, or some or some rhythm that he's doing. I've asked you a little bit about how he contributes to the writing process, but I, I would like to actually refocus and look at the writing and music development process as a whole. Could either of you talk about how that process has changed over the course of your three albums? just the writing process in general, how it's evolved over the course of the album? Yes, that's correct. So I would say when we first started writing, it hasn't been as easily separated by album. It's over time it's evolved. But when we first started writing, we pretty much would write everything in the room together, lyrics and the whole song. 
yeah, like finish, you know, finish multiple songs in a rehearsal and, and knock out maybe like three songs. And then from there, we would spend a little bit more time where we would start an idea and then the trio would spend more time working out exactly how they wanted that groove to evolve. Maggie and I would get up and try to refine the lyrics and, and, and dig a little bit deeper. And then from there, that process has gone even further where we spend more time refining and Maggie and Charlie and I will, will meet up and work out different elements of songs. And, and I think on another branch of that is how much interaction that is. I feel like the songs, even though there's more time spent and there's a little bit more of people working out their individual parts, the parts feel more connected than they did in the beginning. And it feels a lot more like listening because at that time when we're working out our individual parts, we're still being very uh, considerate of what other people are bringing to the table and trying to interact and trying to really listen to what other people are doing. To me, I think one of the, things, the great things about doing that live album is it allowed us to really like explore that and really interact with each other in, uh, in real time and not just like reacting to what the person recorded the day before, you know. And just that energy of the crowd and, and how, much, how much our live shows have evolved. I think for this next album, which will likely be a studio album, it'll probably evolve again and, and go in an even different direction. So you really liked doing the live performance album. Very, uh, that's very rope-a-dope of you. Uh, do you think that that might continue with, with the fourth one? Is that that new direction you might be speaking of? Are you saying a new direction as far as doing another live album? That's correct, because I absolutely love the live stuff. If you can do a live recordings really well, that takes so much talent. Thank you. You know, the live album um, felt like this long overdue thing because our live performance is so much a part of the group and a part of us. But yeah, I'm with Rico. I see the next album being in the studio, really kind of, so from Corner Store to Leaves, I feel like there was so much growth and that happened between those two albums just as far as what we did recording and playing like with sounds and, you know, we worked with uh, with some folks who really helped us like dive deeper into, into that world. And I see us going further that way in the next album. I don't know, stretching, like creating these kind of landscapes with different sounds and feeling and emotion. <laughs> Effects, there it is. Yeah, uh, yeah. Another another live album might might be in the works at some point too. Well, that's very good to hear. I obviously really loved this one and your performance yesterday. Something that I found incredibly um, inspiring for me personally was your new brand, your different brand of writing lyrics that are very poetic. And after doing some digging, I actually found out that the two of you used to write poetry. Is that correct? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> So how does your poetry differ from or influence the current writing that you're doing now? I would love to hear Maggie re- recite some poetry just off the top of your head. But Rico, where do you pull your lyrical inspiration from, if not for written poetry? Like I was saying before, I've, I've been influenced by my friends a lot. And going to open mic in Chicago, and I actually um, I put on an event once a month in Chicago where a lot of my favorite writers come there and perform. And it's, the writing is just so exposed in that way you're able to evaluate it strictly on, like, how well-written is it, you know, and, and the performance is very raw. So I think that has influenced me, and I, I find myself, even with when we perform older songs, like, digging into them in a different way, and a lot of people, are, I'm hearing more and more that it sounds like poetry to people, and I think it's just, like, trying to perform the song as, like, really perform the words as much as performing the rhythm. 
has been has been a thing that I've been focusing on lately. When I first started, I was writing poems, and it was kind of the opposite of what I'm experiencing now because I was like, yeah, I write poems, and then people were telling me, yeah, those kind of sound like raps. Uh, <laughs> and it was and it, because rhythm was really important to me. Music is something I've always loved, and I started out, you know, started playing drums when I was really young. So like, even when I was just writing poems, rhythm was always very important. Yeah, yeah, I think it's kind of come full circle in a way that now that I've gone really far into being an MC, it's now starting to sound more like poetry. And when I first started off just trying to be a poet, I was sounding like an MC. Maggie, are there any poets specifically you used to try and write like or that you still try and write like? When I was living in Minneapolis, that's where I grew up, I would go to open mics and listen to poets. There was a poet in particular named Desdemona who I wanted to be her. She inspired me greatly. She She's this incredible writer from Minneapolis. Yeah, she was a huge inspiration for me starting to write poetry and express myself. And I would do, you know, the talent shows at high schools and stuff like that. And then when I moved to Chicago, I got kind of involved with this event called the Urban Sandbox. My friend Alvin Lau, who's an incredible poet, I, I haven't seen him in years, but we were pretty close my first couple years of college, and he was a big inspiration. He's won, like, numerous <laughs> competitions um, all over the, the U.S. and the world. Sam Sullivan was another guy. He's the guy who hosted the event, Urban awesome. Sandbox, and he's great. So there was just, there is there's this huge community of poets in Chicago. And moving, moving from Minneapolis to Chicago and hearing the poetry when I got to Chicago, I was just blown away because everybody is just on the top of their game doing amazing work. So they were all super, in, you know, inspiring for me to listen to. And when Jill Scott, of course, came out with her album and she was doing spoken word over music, I was like, yeah, <laughs> and singing, you know. So she was a big inspiration, too. Um, you know, we're talking on a big scale. <laughs> Maggie, I hear rumor that you had a, a really heavy Gretchen Parlotta influence on a few tracks of Corner Store. So the song that you're talking about in particular, so I was listening really heavily to her, I think it's her second album. I remember being in the studio where we were recording Moon Equals Belly. That was actually a poem first and then was put to music. Um, speaking of poetry, that's funny. Yeah, I was feeling... Super inspired by her and still, still very, very inspired by her. But yes, on that particular song, I was trying to be inspired by this, this sweetness. There's like this sweetness in her delivery and like this honesty. And I was like, yeah, I want to draw from that and sing this song that way. So definitely. And she was here and I didn't get to, didn't get to see her. Was it surreal to get to play the same festival with her last night? I did get to make it over to her gig and it was it was very romantic, just a duet with Alan Hampton. So how was it to play the same festival as her? Yeah, oh, I heard. I mean, I'm sure it was incredible. <laughs> I would like to go back to your first album. You all ran a Kickstarter to record and produce Corner Store. Tell me about that experience and what did you all do to make it successful? And what would you recommend to young artists or maybe some friends back in Chicago looking to put out their first albums? Um, yeah, we started a Kickstarter. Well, first, we decided that if we're going to really take the time to record an album, we wanted to do it with the people we really wanted to do it with, which was, you know, because it was going to sound good. It was going to be very professional. So we found some incredible folks. Greg Majors was um, the recording engineer and also the producer of the album along with us. Yes, yeah, so we were like, well, it's expensive. 
So yeah, we started this Kickstarter. Really what made it successful was, I think also because we were around for a couple years before doing the Kickstarter, there was a handful of people who kind of knew who we were, who really wanted to support us. I mean, our families were major supporters in that. Having the Kickstarter, promoting the hell out of it, sending it multiple emails to people, blasting all kind of social media stuff. Yeah, it was successful. I mean, we I've known people who are great musicians or artists who run Kickstarters, and they haven't always been successful. We were lucky in that we got our funded. A big part of that was we met a guy, Ben Hasselman, who fell in love with the group and donated a huge portion of money to help us. That was incredible. That first album title, Corner Store, is that in reference to a specific store back home, or where did that title come from? We did this performance with an artist, Little Brown Bird, who has the hot box. When we did it, and actually that's where we met Ben Hussman. This was a, a big event that helped to finish the fundraising process. The title for that was The Corner Store, and she had contacted these artists. Well, the way the hot box works is they have different artists decorate the truck, um, and it's like a mobile art gallery. And so we were, I think, Maybe the, maybe the only, but definitely the first time that anyone had performed in the truck. And so we actually the photo on the back of Corner Store is us inside of her truck. That's where that came from. And then also we have the song Corner on, on the album. And I think it's another thing similar to what, what Maggie was saying about our name as a band. The meanings of that unfolded as, as we went on. It's just like the idea of having this place that you go in and there's a bunch of different things here bunch of little elements that you can sample and, and taste and try. And that's kind of how the album feels. There's a bunch of slices of what Sidewalk Shock is like and what we do kind of all presented in a way. And yeah, I, I felt like it was a good a good way to introduce ourselves to, to people. Well, it definitely was a good introduction. I would agree with that statement. Well, thank you. On your second album, you're quoted saying that it's about unfolding into a new color, which is why it was titled Leaves, or I'm assuming contributed to that idea, and to shed to a state where you could shine brighter. With this most recent release of Shoulder Season, do you feel that you've done that, that you shine brighter? And what was the original intent with trying to make this next album that much brighter than the second one? With Shoulder Season, because it was this, we knew we were going to record a live album. Going from leaves to shoulder season was such a uh, it's so it's so different, and the writing the writing process was really really different as well. Because for shoulder season, we decided to write all new material, so we pushed ourselves within like a couple like month span to write all new songs. Our last two albums, so Corner Store and Leaves. Our songs, some of the songs that we even recorded on Leaves, I mean, we wrote those a long time ago. So there was like a big span of time where the songs on Leaves were from, and there's a big span of time where the songs on Corner Store are from. So on Shoulder Season, to have like this little splice of time where all this, these words and this music is coming from, I think is really unique and really beautiful. Like pushing, everyone pushing their hardest to create this music. Yeah, shining brighter, like pushing yourself and feeling really accomplished, like after after it's all done. Or, or I mean, even more. Not even all of them made the album, so yes, absolutely, that has been accomplished for sure. So that's why you you say that that album, that third album, Shoulder Season, signifies a time between two places. 
the two places being where you were and then now what what you're about to do, yes? Yeah, exactly. It was also, you know, because the, the ties to the travel industry, I think, are another element mm-hmm. of that because we it was the first album that we wrote pretty much entirely on the road. After Leaves, a lot of us quit our jobs to pursue music full-time, so we had never toured the way that we toured last year. On average, played a gig every three days last year. Prior to that, it was definitely a weekend, vacation, summertime uh, thing. So to go from that to the full-time gig is touring, and, and we're writing on that. We definitely found ourselves kind of being on the road all the time, and so that's, that's one of the ties, and it is it does feel like, it felt like a transition between musically where we were and where we were going. And yeah, and just like being being between two things and then also a transition between, you know, I, I think about it in the, um, like when water boils and there's a period where if you check the temperature of the water at any given time, it's significantly higher than it was before, but then there's a certain point where it hasn't started boiling yet, but the temperature doesn't actually increase. It's reached the point where it's almost boiling and it sits there for a second before it actually gets to boiling. And I think about that a lot as like, in life, how, how things work in that way, and it kind of feels a little bit like that for us. We hit, we've hit this point where we want to be and, and where we are is not so far apart. It's, it's a matter of like staying the course and continuing to do what we do and, and, and allowing, it, allowing it its time to, to blossom and, and for the things to come to fruition. Um, that's another element of that to me, just that, that transition and, and, and waiting for the next thing. So this third album, if it's leading towards that second place, that second time, if it's only that slice, and you're expecting something new to come, what is new to come? What can my listeners expect from Sidewalk Jock in the near future? The next thing, I think, it's a continuation of that development. We don't have a definitive answer for what that next album is going to be or what that next musical chapter will be, but we do know that it'll be different, and we do know that we will continue to develop individually and as a group and, and keep pushing ourselves. Every album has been almost a challenge to do better mm-hmm. than the last. You know, we put out Corner Store, and at that point, so many people had said to us that we were a live band. And, you know, before we'd even recorded anything, they're like, yeah, you, y'all are more of a live band, so your studio album probably won't be, you know, live up to your show. So we challenged that by trying to create an album that was better than our live show at that time. After we put that out, to try to develop a live show that was better than the album. And then, to get a new album that could, you know, Leaves was like, let's, all the things that we didn't, that we weren't happy about about Corner Store, all the things we want to make better, let's make that happen here. And then with Shorter Season, it's like, well, we did that. Let's try something completely different. Let's write faster. Let's make it live. Let's do it in a completely different way than the thing we've kind of gotten comfortable doing. And so now for the next album, we want to get uncomfortable again and, and push ourselves again and, and find a whole other, whole other side of what we can create. So you would say that you feel comfortable writing on that much faster scale now? Definitely. I can say that, personally, my writing process has changed quite a bit. Things that used to require a little bit of distance and time for me to process and then write about, now it's like almost a craving that I have to write about things as I experience them. And I think that um, some of the songs on Shoulder Season represent that. It's like the exact feeling that we're experiencing is the thing that we're talking about. Like on 512, my portion of that, I wrote that right out of the feeling of, of coming home back to Chicago and, and actually experiencing the gala, which I was talking about. We played that and, and being so inspired by all the artistry in Chicago and just coming home and having had all these conversations with people about what they think Chicago is and you know, how dangerous it is or whatever, whatever, and then coming back and get reminded of what our impression of Chicago is, which is a huge creative 
epicenter. And that out of that feeling is like needing to write or them, us, like needing to write about frustration with racism in this country or police brutality and like writing about it right as you're feeling it. And now I feel that whether it's personal, whether it's political, but just right out of a feeling wanting to create something. And so I think that once we kind of get into the process of starting to create that next work, I think it'll happen quickly again. Well, I can definitely say that I could feel that higher level of comfortability with the quick writing and the stage performance. You guys have definitely coming into your own sound. I'm assuming much earlier than this third album, but I felt very honored to get to see it just yesterday. I do have one more question for you. If you could describe your live performance, which for any a really amazing band, a live performance is always, in my mind, going to step up any recording that you're going to have. So the fact that you did a live recording is phenomenal. If you were going to describe your live performance to my listeners and sell them on it in 30 seconds, what could you promise my listeners if they came to one of your shows? A love exchange. We don't even need 30 seconds. (laughs) I like that. I like that. (laughs) You know, I think um, every show is going to be different. We're going to create something brand new, and we're going to make sure that we're pushing each other and having fun, and it's contagious. You're going to feel something. It's going to be emotional. It will be spiritual. It'll be love, excitement, joy. You're going to feel something. That's what I would tell people. Good. I like that promise. That's a very good promise. And with that note, I'd like to thank you both for taking some time out of your day and joining us here on The Crypt for just a little segment with Sidewalk Chalk. You all can check out their music. They're on Spotify. They're on iTunes. There's a little bit of everywhere. And this newest album from Sidewalk Chalk is absolutely amazing. Please do check it out. Shoulder Season put out on Rope Dope. Fantastic work. Thank you, guys. Fifty glass, feel the laugh to collapse out of sadness. Glad that is tragic. Man in the magic, magically average, atrocious, attractive, approaching disastrous.